morning, everyone, and welcome to the Wasted Youth Podcast. In this week's episode, Micah and I talk about modern weaponry and pre-modern weaponry in games, with our preferences and experiences in both. There's also a lack of OFA counters, so enjoy that. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Wasted Youths podcast. <laughs> Take two. I'm here, <laughs> as always, with my fantastic co-host, Dominic Shotgun Sanders. And uh, we're tonight we're talking about... What are we talking about, Dominic? Our thoughts and experiences with pre-Civil War slash civil war weaponry and modern day weaponry when it comes to games you didn't make an itinerary so, for this episode i did we're not going I, in blind, i've got it folks. in my head though. we're going in blind all right okay okay we're good all right um but yeah so in context like modern warfare versus uh hunt showdown or games similar to that mm-hmm. that are multiplayer but have different or levels rust. of technology yeah, or Rust. Or um, Outward. Or other games that aren't first-person shooters. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so uh, what specifically did you want to talk about on this? So, basically, you've played Hunt a decent bit. Mm-hmm. You know how your strategy is. We'll compare it to, like, Battlefield four or battlefield five or even comparing one of the older battlefields to the newer battlefields because even though it is still a very fast-paced game you do play them differently gotcha based off of what equipment you have all right that makes sense first i have the all-important question yes what are you drinking tonight i am drinking a new find brother's bond whiskey or bourbon 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 whiskey all bourbon is whiskey not all whiskey is bourbon i like a square triangle thing yeah totally so yeah it's uh 80 proof not bad it's got decent taste nice nice what about you i too have a new find and i'm looking for a brand on this i do not know if there's an actual brand on this Let's see. Well, it Here, says me, this is what it is. It is PB and W. It's a peanut butter whiskey. Okay. Okay. All right. And interesting. It says PB and W. Uh, this is inverted. Anyway, not for me. Peanut butter flavored whiskey. Bring the jam. I did not bring any jam, unfortunately, because I was not able Rip. to make it to the store. Otherwise, I would be putting jam in whiskey right now. Do not doubt me. <laughs> yeah, for those of you that are new to the live stream, if you haven't listened to our audio on Spotify, Breaker, Apple Podcast, all those places you can find podcasts. Does anyone actually listen to podcasts on Breaker? That I don't know. 
that I don't know. I just know most of our uh, audiences on Spotify and Apple. Yes. Um, but yeah, for those of you that are new, Micah loves making atrocities. <laughs> so he's added like brownie batter bitters, which I to... have tonight. Yeah, he's added that to like Svedka. Svedka. So actually, what I'm and gonna do, it's disgusting. I'm gonna grab. It was disgusting. That was miserable. I'm gonna grab my cup <laughs> to pour an actual proper portion of this and put some brownie batter bitters in it. There you go. Because here's what happens, folks, when you put brownie batter bitters in peanut butter whiskey. Okay, you get a uh, boozy Reese's peanut butter cup. That's what you get. Basically, and it's pretty good. Yeah. Um. See, this is this is this is why I do this. You find stuff that's pretty fantastic occasionally. All right. So that's about. Got a nice little tiny sipping glass here, and then take this. Take the brownie batter bitters. Put a little bit. Grab that. How many drops you? plopping in there i'm putting about probably in this one just one little dip. okay so like yeah. a quarter of a squeege yep gotcha yep and we'll see how this tastes the last time i did this with a peanut butter whiskey it tasted fantastic although like a bit artificial this peanut butter whiskey actually has the aftertaste of peanuts though oh which is nice. unique among peanut butter whiskeys that i've tried yeah i've had a uh, only peanut, peanut butter, butter whiskey cup. i've had is screwball and it was chilled and it it's got decent mm -hmm. peanutty aftertaste but i haven't tried any others so i can't compare so i know the screwball peanut butter whiskey is like the most popular peanut butter whiskey i've yeah. never tried it because mm. like i don't know i've always been places and uh like whenever i'm looking for a peanut butter whiskey i see the screwball because everywhere has screwball yeah but then i see something else like this right next to it i'm like oh i gotta try that that's different. Oh, yeah, you gotta, <laughs> yeah, you gotta try the non-popular brands because exactly. sometimes you find a mm -hmm. a diamond in the rough. Mm -hmm. I will forewarn everyone: <laughs> peanut butter whiskey <laughs> is the only thing I've ever gotten wasted off of on <laughs> on this podcast. So there's just something about it. It doesn't. I don't know. Doesn't taste like whiskey enough to make me you know conscious about drinking it so even Fair with point. with or without the bitters yes yes um anyway what's the news news yes so um those who are there for the pre-show we have a very similar uh similar type of news story here um uh -huh. the title is Sexy male mice have competitive moms. <laughs> Dear Lord. Hit me with it. The oh, opening line is, what makes a male mouse a stud? Allowing his mom to have a social life. <laughs> a new study shows that par uh, 
parental experience can affect the reproductive abilities of offspring without any change to DNA. Instead, quicker changes are involved, adding another finding that may be attributed to the growing field of epigenetics. So epigenetics, Hmm. for those of you who don't know, this is going to, this is, this is, this is a brainier news story is like, um, it's, it's like alterations in genetic manifestations of things without actually changing the gene sequence, uh, within a species. Uh, so anyway, so, so it turns out, I'll, I'll just summarize this article that um basically mice who uh they put they put two sets of mice in um different laboratory conditions one was standard kind of a you know one male mouse and one female mouse in a like in a pen together um hmm. and the other one was um several females in like a big communal playground is what they called it um with uh, with other male mice so um and it turns out the um the mice that uh the female mice that were in the social setting gave birth to male mice that lived shorter but were more successful sexually okay (laughs) interesting so the moral of the story is if you don't have a vibrant sex life you can blame your mother for not being social enough wait so am i gonna live till i'm like 400 years old then (laughs) are you saying your mom is like an anti-social individual no i'm just saying i'm not a stud (laughs) (laughs) this has nothing to do with my mother i think if you're bringing up now it has everything to do with your mother my mother requested that we make a mother's day episode and i was like you don't want us to make a mother's day episode (laughs) she listens no she does not that's why she wanted us to make a mother's day episode because she's where we're sober and very coherent and nice (laughs) as you may have noticed uh cactus boy is not here tonight so he's lost the status of permanent guest he is now the pseudo permanent guest we haven't kicked him off yet but um no that's mean he's got real reasons (laughs) he's still permanent i'll give i i allow permanent guest to stay permanent guest for a time being (laughs) (laughs) okay all right but yes well i mean by definition he's not here so he's not permanent you never know he might be in the chat he's (laughs) in the chat right now (laughs) he's distracting his wife with our disturbing sense of humor (laughs) yes sebastian are you tuning in (laughs) at him right now tell him he doesn't check his anything. Never mind. <laughs> nah, he's he's a little busy right now, so I won't bother him. Mm-hmm. All right. Um. Anyway, so that's the news tonight. Yes. Mice right. 
that have more social mothers. Fuck. <laughs> Very concise. Love it. Oh, dear. Uh, All right. On to the main topic of the night. Mm-hmm. We will start with how do you play modern games? Like a game set in the modern time, like Battlefield 4 or a similar game, so, whether it be strategy or FPS. Okay, gotcha. Like, what's your fight style? My fighting style is um, build, get the tankiest build I possibly can, and just hold down a position. So if this is an FPS, it's usually like a support class or something like that. Get an LMG and just hold down one angle for like the entire game and make people really, really mad because <laughs> people like me call of, I get ticked I, off with the this. Call of Duty players <laughs> don't like it when you do that. You just you know <laughs> Yeah. It's because they're really yeah. they play in such a way that makes them really easy to kill. <laughs> If you're playing with that play style in games like Battlefield, yeah, like obviously it, it does it depends, not, yeah. it does not work as well in Call of Duty. Like I don't use LMGs in Call of Duty. Um, uh-huh. I'll use I'll well, use now it's, standard assault rifles usually. I mean, right now LMGs are kind of meta in Warzone, so hey, you might fit right in, but <laughs> maybe might actually play Warzone. <laughs> yes, yeah, my favorite. Probably, probably. Let's see. My favorite game right now to do this in is uh, what is it? Insurgency Sandstorm. That's really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. But also, my favorite game probably of all time that I've done this a lot in is Battlefield Four, because you can um you can grab. There's a few LMGs in that game that you can grab. You can slap a compensator on that baby, and it just turns into a laser, and you yeah. can literally snipe people from across the field with it. It's nuts. Uh, it's nuts. I, I've seen him do it. He's hit crazier shots sometimes than me, who's proficient with the sniper rifle. Although Insurgency is a little bit more crazy because... um. It has, I'd say, argue more realistic damage with an LMG, where it's like if you get if you shoot someone uh chest up with an LMG in insurgency, that's it. That's that's a kill. You're gone. That's a kill. Yeah. And so you can actually use it like a long range weapon in that game. Um yep. what about Very you? Cool. What's what's your style here? It depends a lot on like the feel of the game i'll switch up my play style a little bit Mm -hmm. i'm good at cqb but i'm also good at judging distances just by looking um so i'll assess different landmarks and be like okay this landmark is x meters away this landmark's x meters away i don't need to toggle my ranging on my scope at all i just go okay three mil dots fire Mm -hmm. gotcha cqb i've got my sensitivity dialed to muscle reflex basically so Mm -hmm. i can play that too so it depends if i'm facing people like you hell no i'm not playing cqb (laughs) i'm finding an weird ass angle and sniping (laughs) you in the face then i'll move in yeah but modern games i'm much more aggressive Mm -hmm. i'll 
bunny hop around the corner, crouch jump around the corner, get crazy fast angles. Yeah, shotgun. More so in COD, less so in Battlefield. I think. But... I think. Uh, I think Cactus mentioned this at the last episode, but you like Halo jump in every single game you play. <laughs> See, I don't even classify as Halo. I don't bunny hop. You just really. said you bunny hop. <laughs> That's well, literally the verb you use. Well, yeah, like in games like Halo, I was I was saying broad term modern games. Gotcha. Okay. Like like Battlefield, I play much more strategic in the movement sense, less jumping, more crouch peek a corner, mm-hmm. just use cover smart. Gotcha. Warzone. I'll sprint jump through a door just to get out of that death cone because a lot of people sit behind them with instant kill SMGs or shotguns, mm-hmm. and that's annoying. So yep. I decide to be more annoying by going Mach 10 through a doorway. Gotcha. Um, also, quick sniping in that game is crazy if you're good at it. Um, but then Halo, yeah. You've got a shield. You can take a little bit. So I'll bunny hop and crouch jump all day long to avoid them getting a headshot on me with those snipers across the map. Mm-hmm. But much more aggressive in modern day games. What about games like Hunt Showdown or the older timing of like Battlefield 5 or Battlefield 1? Old. Even though they've still got automatic weapons, it is Old more games. postmodern. Yeah. Uh, Typically, I actually adopt a, well, yeah, my, my strategy, you know, like I said, LMG guy, I, that doesn't, LMGs didn't exist, at least not in their modern iteration back then. You can use an LMG in Battlefield 5, yeah, but it's crap, and you can use an MMG, which works like an LMG, but you literally have to mount that on a wall to aim down sights, um, so I don't typically play that same style in those games um i tend to go with a more of a marksman class in those games um specifically battlefield because sniping is really not easy necessarily but intuitive in battlefield yes um you can actually bullets especially in like battlefield one and battlefield five bullets move slowly enough that you can actually see where they land and you can see their arc through the uh, through the air, so you can adjust yeah. based on how you missed or not. Battlefield One specifically, I actually tend to play medic a lot because yeah, yeah, I can rack up a bunch of points by going and resing everyone because all the other medics are too uh, cowardly to actually do their jobs. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be uh, seriously. Sure. There's what's that one map of like the cathedral in the center that always gets like smoked out all the time. Oh uh, yeah, it's like the torn up town. I can't yeah. remember the name of I'll, it, I'll, but I hate that map. I'll be I'll be in that cathedral with like four other medics, and like half of our team is down. There's like ten people down, and I'll just go like res every single one of them without any of the other medics doing anything. And they're not, yeah. they're not like laying down cover fire or doing anything else. They're just like, I don't think I can do that. It's like, bro, that's why you have like three smoke grenades as a medic. Just block off all angles. 
No joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've seen you do that too. I I'll play medic alongside you, but I'm more focused on holding people off because I run mm-hmm. very big combat medic where I don't have mm-hmm. smoke grenades. I've got oh gosh, what do I use? I want to say I use the um, landmine. Yeah, like I'll block off our flank with it, so then while you're getting heals off, nobody can run behind us yeah. without me knowing and turning on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's how I actually that's how I use learn to use smoke grenades practically in first person shooters. Yeah, was by playing medic because it's like that's the game where it's like extremely obvious how you use it. Like you know the basic thing you'll see any medic do it in Battlefield Five is just, oh, you have a smoke grenade gun, actually, and you just shoot it right at the person you want to revive, and then you run into the smoke and go res them. Yeah. And then, you know, as you play Medic, you get a few, a little bit more creative running around, uh, and, you know, instead of plopping it right down on them, oh, you plop it right in front of where anyone that's going to come around a corner and start shooting at you is. Because most people in most first-person shooters aren't super excited to run into smoke. Like, that's just not a thing people typically do, so you can create kind of a little bit of a pseudo-wall there, temporarily. Although, my favorite, favorite moment I think I've had in Battlefield 5 while playing a medic is we were on a fairly... You were there, and who who else was there? I think it was Ricky. Ricky, you and Ricky were there. Maybe. It might have been Quinn, because he's played Battlefield with us Quinn. a decent bit. Yeah. And you guys, We were going to take a base, and you guys went in to actually go and take it, and I stayed back to, um, you know, basically do Overwatch. Yeah. And one of you retreated out. You got, um, you got downed, and I shot out a smoke... In front to res you, I turned, went around, so I was facing the smoke as I was resing you. It could have been Quinn as well. I don't know who was actually down. But I res mm. that person. And, like, as I was resing them, I saw someone running out of the smoke. And as as soon as I got the res, I run up and knife them. And then I run into the smoke and knife another person. And then I yeah. hide in the building and someone comes in and I knife them. Because as a combat medic in Battlefield Five you get an ability which extends the range of your melee attacks to, like, triple. You can, like, lunge at people with a knife. It's stupid. (laughs) It is so stupid. It's stupid, stupid, but it's hilarious. And you can get a bunch of melee kills that way. It's super fun. True. Very true. Uh, All right. Yeah, old-timey games. Doctors have longer arms. I mean, yeah. You you gotta make sure you can reach all those organs just a okay, because <laughs> that's the only logical reason. <laughs> make sure you can reach the organs. Yeah, because you know you just do to stab them, not not to do proper surgery on them. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah, it, it works. That's, that's a, fine. That's, Don't worry about that's it. That's how Call of Duty or uh, Battlefield medics work. They just do surgery on their opponents really fast. Really fast and in a very deadly way. <laughs> um, 
So my playstyle, Battlefield being an outlier just because there are still full auto guns, I'm basing my thought process more on Civil War-ish, even pre-Civil War era. Not quite muskets, but where 90% of the guns were either pump shotguns or bolt-action rifles or lever-action rifles. Gotcha. Revolvers, stuff like that. Some semi-auto pistols, but no predominant full-auto guns. So, like... And if... Like pirate weapons. Yeah. Yeah, like Sea of Thieves. Yes. So my playstyle on those games, both Sea of Thieves and uh, Hunt Showdown, both of those change twitch reflex gunplay into movement and cover play. Mm-hmm. So like Hunt Showdown, you there's one to two monsters on the map. Up to 12 players or 10 players, I believe. Mm-hmm. 12, if you have teams at three. Um, and you have to go after one or two monsters and mm-hmm. capture a bounty, then escape. Stop it. You've, yeah, you don't have any fully automatic weapons aside from one, which is called the automat. And the recoil on that thing is insane. And <laughs> ammo is hard to find in that game so you saw me using the lmg earlier tonight right in uh oh god yeah in um it's double that it's (laughs) double that easily oh boy and it's only um iron sight gotcha like there's there's no red dots in this game i challenge it's all everyone in audience to play an entire round of any of insurgency sandstorm only hip firing an lmg (laughs) jeez yeah you better have like a recoil grip and a laser because good luck i had none of that (laughs) no you did not (laughs) but my yeah my play style is much more movement and cover based um typically like hunt showdown a lot of people run shotgun than a pistol with large caliber rounds. I typically run a rifle, either it be iron sight or marksman. I don't like using sniper scopes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like a small to medium caliber pistol. Gotcha. Just to spread out what ammo I'm using, because if you're only using large ammo, you're gonna run out in one of your guns if you're fighting a lot of players, and. As you know, I'm very aggressive, so I hear gunfire, and it's like somebody dropped a piece of candy in front of me. I'm like, ooh, guns, let's go, let's go over there. So, yeah, like, hunt, I'll play around buildings, play around trees a lot more. Call of Duty, I'll just be sprinting. I get tagged, I'm like, oh, there's a guy. Jump behind cover, quick peek, snipe, whatever I decide to do. Mm Mm-hmm. Hunt and everything slows down my gameplay a lot. Gotcha. I move in between cover instead of sprinting through it. 
I'm much more aware and slow. I'm looking around a lot more. Mm. Similar to Tarkov, even though Tarkov has modern day guns. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like the weapons don't necessarily affect your play style that much because you still use the same mechanical features and weapons in modern games. They just shoot farther. Well, they shoot farther, they can shoot full auto so you can kill more. Typically, they have larger capacity. Mm-hmm. The fastest you can fire and hunt is lever shooting, where as long as you're hip firing, you can keep going click bang, click bang, click bang, mm-hmm. click bang. But it's still... it It's semi-auto because you still have to pull the trigger every time, but you can just hold down your trigger as long as you're hip firing. Gotcha. Mm, gotcha. But it's not as deadly as jumping around the corner with an MP5 and COD and hip firing, just grrr, just shredding them. Mm-hmm. So older style weaponry definitely changes my playstyle because you have to be much more methodical, gotcha. especially if you're using a bolt action or a lever action. You shoot and you miss them. You gotta have time to rechamber that. So. A, you better have cover, or B, they better be a crap shot. Because you'll die otherwise. Because mm-hmm. gotcha. headshots will kill you. You you can't leave yourself in, out in the open for too long. Mm-hmm. But yeah, makes sense. Uh, when it comes to a comparison of the two games, mm-hmm. do you prefer modern weapons or older weapons, or do you have a specific mood for both types of games let's see it depends so much on the genre of games yeah um i think personally i i tend to prefer modern weapons modern Mm -hmm. to high-tech weapons even um just because uh you know, it's a vibe. <laughs> but like Fair. Yeah. you know, I like I said before, I like I like my full auto LMGs that can split a person in half. That's just that's just fun. Um, Fair point. <laughs> uh let's see. I I like, you know, even like I said, beyond that high tech weapons, like there was a there's a sniper rifle. That's only yeah. available in the story mode, I believe, of Call of Duty Black Ops 2. Okay. Um, and it's an it's a X-ray gun, essentially. Like basically what the bolt what the what it does is you can aim and you can see I think it's heat signatures through objects. Okay. Okay. And then you essentially the longer you hold down the fire button yeah basically what happens is the bullet fires from the gun phases out of existence and then reappears the further away you're you know based on how far or how long you uh held the trigger okay and so so the longer you hold the trigger the longer it's phasing yes and then when you let go is when it materializes yes okay and you can so you can like literally shoot people through multiple sets of walls and and there's no such there's no barriers or anything anymore it's fantastic (laughs) 
Huh. But so I've never played with that gun. Yeah. I must have missed it when I played through. Mm-hmm. There's an entire level, I believe, that it's necessary for near the end of the game. Huh. Okay, I must not have reached that point then, because I only played it at a buddy's house. Gotcha. So okay. That makes sense. Yep. Hmm. Um. Yep. No. So that would be definitely. I prefer the modern side of uh any kind of weapons combat game. Usually, what about oh, you? Oh, for sure. Um. Honestly, it depends on what mood I'm in, on how I want to play. Um. I've been getting back into Warzone again, but I've also been getting back into Hunt Showdown. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm feeling super competitive and I'm just like, I want to run and gun and just go absolutely crazy, I'll choose a modern day game. Mm-hmm. Whether that be Warzone, Halo, whatever it may be. If I'm like, okay... I want a bit of a slower paced game, but I still want high stakes. I still want to be competitive. I just don't want to deal with other lunatics running around like me. I'll choose games like Hunt or Battlefield 5 or Battlefield 1. Games where I can be like, alright, I'm going to sit back with a sniper, just chill. Still have the competitive where there's eight dudes sprinting in front of me across this field. I gotta hit every shot, otherwise they'll turn and kill me. Mm-hmm. I just play slower, more methodical. I think about what angles I'm holding a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yes. And different objectives also play a part in it. Like mm-hmm. Sometimes I just want to go kill a massive mutated spider and then kill some players and leave. Mm-hmm. Other days I want to kill 20 people in Warzone and feel like a legend. <laughs> you know, I feel like a lot of that rings true, not to deviate from the topic too much. No, yeah. For uh, martial arts as well. Ooh. So. Yeah, as, that's fair. As, you know, dedicated listeners will know, I practice uh, Viking martial arts up here yes. in uh, Minnesota, the home of the Vikings. <laughs> But, um, so I, so I do every Thursday and Saturday, I do, uh, training with, uh, sword and shield and it's, um, I haven't done, you know, much weapons training. <laughs> what is the, What is this question? Are you guys AR guys or AK guys? Ah, Yes, Viking martial yes, arts is a thing. Martial... It is absolutely legendary. Yes, um, it's pretty dope. For that question, I would say it's dependent on the situation. In an urban setting, I'm more of an AR guy, but if I'm more like woods, desert, mud, just grit, AK for sure. I honestly... ARs are designed to run precision, not in muck. I honestly have no bias towards either one but i'll answer that i'll I'll elaborate on the other one real quick the the viking martial arts bit i'm getting my water real quick yeah that's a that's a thing so though so it falls kind of falls under the broad category of uh hema ah alec i now know who you are (laughs) um but uh 
Anyway, yeah, it, it falls under the broad category of uh, HEMA kind of historical European martial arts. I say kind of because most traditional HEMA is uh, taught using um, uh, historical manuscripts. But for Viking martial arts, we have no historical manuscripts or not or really um, not not by primary sources. And so we reconstruct the martial art based on archaeology finds. So we create historically accurate shields and historically accurate swords and spears and other weapons. Um, and we try to uh, basically uh, figure out how these things would have been used in combat. So everyone who does it has other martial arts experience as well experience as well for the most part um so we can kind of speculate based on how we fight in other contexts how these tools would be used to fight but what i was saying about that is basically that's using um an old style old style weapons and what uh shotgun was saying is that finds himself being a lot more um in video games being a lot more you know methodical about how he's doing things and a lot slower paced when using older weapons and that holds true i think for martial arts when you're uh you know fighting with a sword and a shield you're a lot more methodical on how to do things because uh of the nature of the weapons you're using um, you know, both, when both, both people have a sword, if you make one mistake, you open yourself up to be killed. <laughs> um, unlike uh, in the other martial arts I do. What? Yeah, look at the chat real quick. Like, oh, so maybe. Lausitog? Or Lausitog? I don't know how Laus- to pronounce that. Lausitog. Uh, so I have not heard of Lausitog before. Um, I'll look it up real quick. Yeah, so, so I will tell you this. Uh, there's there's a lot of um speculative stuff out there. Yeah, like Glima. Uh, Glima is is a martial art that claims to be have an unbroken lineage it's very similar to greco-roman wrestling except instead of going to the ground and trying to pin someone you're trying to put it you know put them on the ground and then have your hands on them and then get off of them and that's how you win if they're on the ground and you're disconnected from them and um you're standing up but uh so they claim to have an unbroken lineage back to the Vikings. I will say this. I haven't seen historical evidence for it. I've talked to several people who are scholars on Viking culture. None of them have said they see any historical evidence for that claim. Um, that being said, a lot of Viking history is oral tradition and uh, given as there aren't many Vikings around anymore. Their oral tradition is kind of lost to us. They didn't write a whole lot of stuff down. Um, yeah. So, 
it's a very possible it could have been a thing. But yeah, uh, you know, that. all that being said, Glima's really cool. I've wanted to look into Glima. I'm not discrediting the martial art in any sort of way. Um, but yeah. yeah. The, uh, the definition for Lostok is the most aggressive form of armed and unarmed Glima. The name of a Scandinavian martial arts system. Gotcha. So, so I would guess that Lostok, based on that description, is like um, it's mixing the weapons with Glima strategies, um, which is 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 probably just as legitimate as what we do at my school. My school is called uh, Ozfolk. Um, I would assume um, we have you know two very prominent uh i don't know what you would call them anthrop martial anthropologists that kind of inform our style but um yeah uh very similar hmm. um possibly i say that without actually having you know looked into that term at all yes yes yeah. Allie. Alec, that's how I'm going to pronounce your name. (laughs) I don't know. Why is that your username? I'm so confused. I don't know. Yes, we are nerds, though. (laughs) (laughs) 100%. In more ways than one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nerds in games and martial arts. mm -hmm. So anyway, did you have uh, anything else on the main topic that you wanted to cover? I think we got like at at least 20 more minutes of content we have to make. Yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. I mean, it's interesting that you compare those thought processes to martial arts because you're training in your specific martial art, and I trained predominantly in Taekwondo and um, Eskrima. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's very interesting because it's it's and, true. And I think that's very different. Pers- very different actually now that i'm thinking about it because they do flow drills oh, yeah. at eskrima which oh, is yeah which is while extremely focuses on precision i wouldn't necessarily use the adjective methodical when describing flow drills yeah <laughs> um i was part of an association called uh chungdo kwan but we swapped to um, I want to say ITF because membership rates were too high for Chengdu Kwan, but I quit shortly after we switched because I massively enjoyed the sparring aspect. And when we switched associations, uh, we had to learn like 40 new forms because oh. I was a second degree black belt. So I had to learn every form from white belt to second degree. <laughs> Can I go on a tangent, actually? Or do you have 20 minutes worth of content? I have. A f- I mean, you can I, go on a tangent. I, 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 I'll continue my I have a form tangent. After. Okay. Okay. All right. So, Let's hear it. So, I'll probably agree. So, so hot martial arts take. All right. You probably won't. Well, I mean, you might agree, but I don't know that you've necessarily heard this point of view before we've talked about it before so i think i have so this is this is more of a recent kind of conclusion that i've come to i have i have never practiced a martial art that uses forms or a kata or anything like that um 
I've done Aikido, which has something similar, though. So um, that's where I kind of, I was thinking about Aikido and how we practice and how other people perceive our practice and how um, people perceive forms and kata a lot. And yeah. um, so, so here's the thing with forms. A lot of a lot of martial arts instructors will put a lot of different values and stuff that you know in the form. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll say, "Oh, you learn this, and you learn this, and you learn this while you're doing the forms." Yeah, and that may be true. Like, I'm not. I'm not going to say that's outright untrue. Yeah. But a lot of people you have on the other side who are saying, oh, the forms are entirely useless, like people from modern martial arts, um, like, you know, people who practice MMA or not everyone who practices MMA, let me be clear. But like, you know, people who practice Brazilian jiu-jitsu and that's uh, Muay Thai, things like that. Not even necessarily modern. Muay Thai, I wouldn't call like, it's it's a very old martial art. But uh, people who practice martial arts that don't have forms tend to have this opinion that forms are kind of entirely useless i wouldn't agree with that necessarily but but regardless of like the actual martial utility of them they have a pedagogical utility okay yeah uh pedagogical meaning like related to teaching and education um but uh and that is, if you look at the forms of most martial arts schools that practice forms, they, uh, it's, it's a syllabus. Yeah. The forms, yeah. Are, the forms are a syllabus. And if you look at the countries that a lot of those uh, martial arts, which have forms and kata come from, they didn't really have, they don't have a strong t- tradition of written instructions for martial arts at least not illustrated instructions for martial arts yeah so the forms in a sense if nothing else and i'm not saying that they function in no other way but if they even if they didn't function in another way they have an interesting cultural value to them which is that you teach a student the forms and they can do the forms perfectly they can then, you know, teach the entire syllabus to another student. They mm-hmm. now know the entire syllabus at this point. Now, that's not to say that the way you do a move in the form is exactly how you're going to do it in a sparring situation. Yeah, yeah. But, and a lot of times in the forms, it's a lot, you have a lot more dramatic motions. But that's yeah. to emphasize the point, the move, so you remember it. You remember it exists. And you remember the fundamental mechanics of it. Exaggerated movements in a controlled environment Mm -hmm. help you use effective Mm -hmm. movements in a self-defense or sparring environment. Yes. 100%. And and I think that the difference between a good traditional martial arts school uh, and a bad one, at least in ones that use the forms, is ones that recognize that that is a if not the primary focus of the forms is as a syllabus you're not meant to practice a technique necessarily in the forms you're meant to practice the technique as the technique 
But the forms let you know what all the techniques are for sometimes your school. Sometimes a school will have one form for the school or the tradition or the style. Sometimes you'll have different forms that will contain all the moves for each rank. Um, stuff like that. Aikido works very similarly, where yeah. as we train, we don't have forms, but we have uh, different throws that are sometimes exaggerated. For example, the wrist throw, which is the one where you grab someone's wrist and you do this and you throw them. Um, they jump to prevent their wrists from being yes. snapped. So, so <laughs> yes. Well, not uh, in a practice kind, sense. Kind in of, practice sense, kind of. Yeah. So, so to avoid injury, it's yeah. not necessarily going to break someone's wrist to do that. No. Yeah. It'll tweak it for mm-hmm. sure, though. But of that, but when we're doing that. Most people aren't going to use a kodagaishi, which is what that's called in Aikido, as it's practiced in the dojo in any kind of physical confrontation. They're going to use uh, this movement to achieve something else. Yeah. And the person being thrown, flipping themselves over their arm that's having it applied to them, allows the Aikido practitioner to practice this movement to its full extent without having uh risking injuring their uh training partner yeah um that being said i think people who do aikido need to recognize this just like people who practice the forms need to recognize the purpose of the forms in most schools is to serve as a syllabus i don't think there's a there's a point in like re-drilling the forms uh, once you can do them perfectly like maybe every once in a while to refresh yourself like and keep yourself keep them in your head but yeah like you know there's i hear stories a lot about you know instructors in different schools who will just say they the vibe is that they don't feel like teaching today and they'll just say practice the forms for an hour it's like, well, yeah. you know, half your students are already perfect in their forms. So, um, I mean, unless you genuinely believe they're going to get something out of that, that's kind of scummy to do, in my opinion. Yeah. My my issue with it was I, I was never perfect at forms. Mm-hmm. I, I will never claim to be perfect at the forms. I was very competitive in sparring, though. Just because of the way my brain works, I'm fairly fit. Not as fit as I was back then, arguably, just because I'm out of practice. Yeah, he's gone Um, up from 0.1% body fat to 0.3% body fat. He's gotten chubby. I know. I need to get it under control. What can I say? (laughs) The way I looked at forms were... I've never thought of it as a syllabus, but now that you say it, that makes sense. I looked at it as a way to perfect the movements. Mm -hmm. And I had enough of a grasp on the movements to know what to do, and it was muscle memory. Mm -hmm. So it looked good, it looked snappy, it looked sharp. My issue was when we swapped associations, and... Now I remember the exact name of the association. I don't know what federation they were a part of, though. It was Kukiwan. That we is swapped... uh, ITF. Okay. That's I what believe. I thought, but I wasn't 100% sure. I'm 90% sure that's ITF. Yeah. I, I swapped from Chungdo Kwan 
to Kukiwan, which, like Michael said, I thought it was ITF, but I wasn't sure. Um, I, I want to say that I'm saying this as someone who does not do Taekwondo. I've just read a book. Yeah. Um, my issue was some of the techniques differed from what I had mm-hmm. done. I had practiced this form of Taekwondo yeah. for 10, 11, 12 years. That last year I did it, they're like, okay, um, all these things you've done for the past mm-hmm. 10 years, that's wrong now. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm, that's, that's... Uh, I've almost won state tournaments. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's obviously not wrong. It works. Yeah. Um, but fine, I guess. And I did it for three, four months mm-hmm. after we swapped. I'm like, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I, I can't do this anymore. And, like, this is ridiculous. And that's why I brought this up, actually, because I'm like, well, I mean, like, you said that initially, and I'm like, huh, that doesn't really make sense. Yeah. Like, the first time you told me that, which was, you yeah. know, a few years ago. And oh, yeah. Yeah. then I was thinking about this, I'm like, huh, actually, that kind of does make sense. Because if you trade train into a new federation, a new association... Their uh, background is entirely different. I mean, and they want... And if you're going to have... Like, if they're going to consider you a black belt in that association now, they want you to know the syllabus that a black belt knows. You should be able to teach the things that a black belt in that association should be able to teach. Yeah. Which, you know, the way of doing that in Taekwondo, the way of transferring the syllabus is by teaching the forms. forms. And so, while that can be really, really annoying, (laughs) it makes, it does actually make sense when I think about it. It does. It also makes yeah. sense to want to leave because they switch associations and you have to learn an entirely new syllabus. Though. <laughs> yeah, I I did Taekwondo for not only the social aspect because I was homeschooled. That was my social outlet for 12, 13 years. I used it for usable training. Mm-hmm. And for me, the difference between risk together like this mm-hmm. and wrist together like this mm-hmm. makes no effective difference for me given my last motion means this part of my wrist is pointing straight down mm-hmm. so the my palm is facing my knee that makes no effective difference mm-hmm. to me mm-hmm. that is purely a nitpick based on association yeah. yeah i mean so given i had gotten to the point where i was exceedingly effective in being competitive in tournaments, that nitpick annoyed me to no end. Although this is kind of where, um, you know, some, some uh, I wouldn't call it Bruce Lee wisdom, I'd call it a yeah. Bruce Lee quote, Yeah, comes into, uh, comes into effect, and where you could apply it is, uh, you know, receive what is useful, reject what is useless. Um, yeah. So... You know, the the reason, presumably, I assume, the forms yeah. are different in different associations is because, you know, techniques. You said, you know, wrist together, one has, you know, back of wrist to front of wrist, one has front of wrist to front of wrist. Yeah. Um, the reason that's different is because someone who is, you know, influential in that association decided 
for me, this works better if I have my, you know, wrists on each other like this as opposed to the back of my wrist to the front of my wrist. Yeah. For some reason, that works better for them. Yeah. And real quick, I'm not claiming that's specifically the difference, but it, it was just a petty example. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I, I, yeah. The minor annoyances. Less for you, Micah, yes. more for audience, yes. just so it's not misconstrued. Yes, for sure. I, yeah. Just, I'm just using your example as a no, yeah. example. Yeah. For um, sure. I, w- I want to clarify for audience. Less for you. I knew. Yeah. You took what I said yeah. for what I meant. Yeah, so, uh, but then, you know, that worked for someone be- probably because, well, one of the, th- either, one of two things, either their natural reflex was to do it that way. That's yeah. what happened naturally. Yeah. Um, that's the primary reason for, like, the number one reason any martial technique is formed is because someone does it that way naturally. Like, you know, we can talk all about martial arts and the most effective way to do things, but most people, when they come up with their fighting styles, they're not thinking about it. They're not martial artists who are putting their entire brain into this thing. Uh, And they're just thinking, okay, what do I naturally do? Well, that's the fastest thing. I don't have to retrain myself to do something else. Or, second option, they thought about it and mechanically with how their body works maybe they you know were shorter or taller they had longer arms something like that it works better to do it the other way and so they decided to do it differently and i think we can everyone can kind of learn from deciding to you know train into doing something differently yeah not to downplay your frustration at all with this. No, yeah. But, no. But like, you know, then, I yeah. I think um it would have contributed in its own way uh to your martial arts journey if yeah. you had, you know, stuck around and decided to relearn all the forms because then you would know two ways of doing every single technique in your curriculum and yeah. you could say, "Oh yeah, well I learned how to do it this way." But I, when I relearned this, this way I found <coughs> actually works better. Yeah. Or you might I mean, say, to... when I relearned this, this other way really doesn't work better for me at all. And I'm going to keep doing it this way in sparring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, it wasn't just that. It was also, I started a new job and said job was 12 hour shifts, six days a week. So yep. on night shift. So I didn't have time for classes. But the main reason was... I've been training for 10 years for this, and now you're changing it on me. Mm-hmm. This is kind of bullcrap. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm here for sparring and effective reflexive training. I know the movements that work. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm good. <laughs> Whatever. I'll continue training in Kali, Eskrima. Mm-hmm. So, because yep. that was much more, I mean, I learned a lot more... Uh, Taekwondo played a lot into my reflexive training. That's why I've got decent reflexes. Eskrima trained a lot more in self-defense training. Like, Mm -hmm. if somebody were to attack me, I would by far resort to Eskrima Mm -hmm. empty hand training or knife training over, okay, let me make distance and kick you. Mm -hmm. Because the risk of kicking someone is they catch your leg, now you're screwed. (laughs) 
That's my favorite so, thing to do. I love catching people's legs. I know. Legs. I know. You've done it to me <laughs> like a dozen times. It's it's fun because I was a wrestler in high school. And then, so, I know. So, like, so like to, to run down my martial arts experience, okay. Like, when I was a little kid, I did a mix of taekwondo and judo, okay. And, like, that was just a little kid. I learned basic martial concepts doing that. That didn't really contribute to my fighting style at all. Then when I was in high school, I did wrestling. And then when I was after high school, I did Aikido. And now I'm doing, you know, historical Viking martial arts. And in none of those styles is, like, kicking a thing that they recommend doing. <laughs> like, um, the closest you might get is in Aikido. But uh, the founder of Aikido... Uh, Morihei Oeshiba, and I'm butchering that because <laughs> liquor Good talent. One. But um, <laughs> but uh, he uh, he's been quoted saying, <laughs> basically, I I can't remember the exact quote. He doesn't like kicking because you're inherently off balance when you're kicking. Um, you have I mean, not necessarily, well, but you, fair. Well, yeah, you have less balance yeah. than you do if you have both feet on the yeah. ground. Um, yeah. I so, get the context you're saying. Yes, so, I disagree because I'm yes. balanced when I kick. So all so, of so I all of it. these different martial arts that pretty much teach. Yeah, if someone kicks you, this is how you you, you got to catch the kick, and sometimes that means just absorbing the kick. Like you get kicked, but then you have their leg, and then you take them down. <laughs> so like that's always something that I've been trained, even when I was a little. Catch the yeah. kick, take him down. And it doesn't necessarily always work. Some people have very powerful kicks and will kill you if you try to do that. And generally, then, I try to dodge it. But, yeah. Yeah. I um, mean, every time we've sparred, obviously, mm -hmm. we're close friends mm -hmm. and all that jazz. Yeah, I, I will never claim I could kill with one kick. Mm -hmm. Like, if I do a roundhouse... But you'll have a couple cracked and or broken ribs. Yeah. So yeah, I mean it depends on your mm -hmm. resilience to that pain. Mm -hmm. But I also understand that thought process of catch it because I mean, like I said, if I'm in a self defense situation, I resort to Kali, mm -hmm. not Taekwondo. Yeah. And I did Taekwondo nine years longer than I did Kali. Yeah. So that's that's what I was kinda getting at is uh Kali is more integrated into your fighting style than Taekwondo is. I, I've been thinking about this a lot recently because I'm writing a paper on, well, it papers actually on why a lot of people start martial arts and, you know, drop martial arts because they don't end up learning what they are trying to learn. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, the difference between a fighting style and a martial art is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. Hmm. Uh, Orange Monk A says Monk Taekwondo a. is like a very high risk high reward. I agree. Yeah, I agree. If you land the kick, great. Mm -hmm. If you don't land the kick and they catch it, oh shit, I'm gonna mm -hmm. die. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're gonna wrap up the podcast right here. We're gonna stick around yeah. for the uh, Twitch stream a little bit longer, so we'll yeah. keep up this conversation. Uh, for a little bit but i want to thank everyone who tuned in this week on the podcast for tuning in uh i hope you enjoyed our conversations about the uh difference between modern and classic 
weapons and video games and also our conversation about martial arts that it turned into because yeah that's what happens when sebastian's not here we just talk about martial arts <laughs> i know every time every time um but uh yeah so thanks for tuning in we hope to see you guys next week absolutely listening to the wasted youths podcast we hope you enjoyed the show the wasted youths is produced by dominic sanders and Micah Voorhees. dominic is also the lead editor of the wasted youths all music featured in the show is composed by Micah Voorhees. if you enjoy our show we'd really appreciate it if you would subscribe and consider donating through the link in the description to help us make better episodes if you know someone who might be interested in the topic that we discussed tonight, feel free to send them our way by sharing this episode with them. All that being said, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you have a fantastic evening, and we'll see you next week.